What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Pretty excited here to talk about some of the big news items that have come up lately and disappointed about talking about some of the others with in regards to the injuries that have occurred in the past few days. And then we'll also get into uh, UFC uh, fight night that's going on tomorrow, Sunday. That's being headlined by Duho Choi versus Jeremy Stevens. There's some pretty good and interesting fights on the card. I'm uh, pretty excited for that one. So let's get right into it and to some of the news that has come out earlier in the week. And we'll start with the positive things first. We'll go with Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar being rescheduled for UFC 222. That'll take place in Las Vegas, Nevada on March 3rd. These guys were scheduled to take um, to take place this fight at UFC 218 in Detroit last month, but Edgar, he did pull out due to an orbital bone injury, so that delayed it by a little bit. But it's good to see that he's not out too, too long. Um, about four months later, they'll be, they'll be getting, three months later, they'll be getting it on, so that's nice to see. Of course, Holloway coming off another impressive victory over Jose Aldo, finishing him off in the third round for the second time in two straight fights. Very impressive of, uh, coming, overcoming Jose Aldo, especially on short notice the second time in a situation in which he was kind of in a no-win situation in the sense that it was going to be very, very difficult in order for him to showcase that he was that he could do better than the first time. Um, he was outstanding the last time. I think he gained a lot of people's respect, really showed how dominant of a fighter that he can be, and showed that his potential is sky high at this point. He's got a lot going for him right now. But Frankie Edgar... This is going to be his last shot at the featherweight championship, in my opinion. So you can expect Frankie to be very well motivated, as he always is. He's someone that has always been in it for the title. He wants to have that belt around his waist. That's always been his main goal. He'll do, he'll train, um, you know, every ounce of his body that he can to the full extent to make sure that he is at his best that night, the night of the fight. And this is going to be a very intriguing matchup. I really am interested to see how Holloway will counter Edgar's wrestling. I think a lot of people are making a, a lot of Frankie's movement and his and his head movement, his footwork. But I just see Holloway being on a different level when it comes to the striking base that he has as opposed to Edgar. You could see Edgar landing some good shots early on. Max does tend to... Um, you know, slow that slow start off slowly at the beginning of his fight, but so that 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 would do well for Edgar. But I think where the real battle is going to be tested in this fight is whether or not Edgar can get Holloway, who is a really big featherweight in this division. It's going to look like he's towering over Edgar a little bit, I would say. Is he able to get Holloway to the ground, and how effective is he going to be able to? be in controlling and uh, getting some, some of that ground and pound off in a similar case like he did against Jair Rodriguez. So that's going to be very intriguing. I think Holloway is better suited to deal with that wrestling of Edgar and to deal with his um, that top control of Edgar as opposed to Jair Rodriguez. But if Edgar is able to get it down there early and quick, that would be his best case scenario for Holloway. If he can stuff the takedowns early on, kind of weather the storm early in the first couple rounds, which wouldn't necessarily be difficult in the sense that Edgar doesn't have huge power like a Jose Aldo or someone else out there in the division, then he should be okay, and uh, he should be able to work this out. So, um, But it's going to be a very intriguing fight nonetheless. It's a really good main event for that March 3rd card. It's a, turning out to be a decent card with good names, familiar names that we have. Hector Lombard's fighting C.B. Dalloway. Stefan Struve is fighting Andre Arlovsky. So that should be pretty entertaining. Kat Zingano's fighting Ketlin Vieira, who's uh, up and coming at this point. Andre Sukmatov is fighting Sean O'Malley, who's been very entertaining from the Contender Series that uh, Dana White has had out there. And then uh, Mackenzie Dern is facing Ashley Yoder in her debut in the UFC, and Brian Caraway, 
facing Cody Stamen, who is a um, prospect in that division as well. So that's looking to be, uh, that's turning out to be a pretty intriguing fight card right there. So we'll have to take it, keep an eye and see how this continues to build over the next coming months. So let's move on to the next news item that we have to discuss here. Unfortunately, it's not as exciting as what we just talked about with Holloway and Edgar finally being able to face off on March 3rd. Let's go to UFC Australia, the Perth card that's going to be going down. It appears as though that Robert Whitaker has pulled out. He will not be able to uh, fight at UFC 221, and that is a huge, huge loss in this uh, card, I believe that he was going to be the main attraction here. It was going to be similar to that UFC in in Cleveland where Stipe Miocic was really the main event, the guy that you were coming to see on that card. And I believe that Whitaker was going to come across looking like a superstar if he was able to defeat Luke Rockhold in defense of his his middleweight championship in, his, in Perth, Australia. So that would have been an amazing scene to see, even if he had lost. I mean, it just would have provided an incredible atmosphere. It was an incredible, well-matched fight, so I was really excited to see how Rockhold would deal, would deal with Whitaker and, and vice versa as well. Unfortunately, Whitaker said that he's been struggling through these injuries for quite a bit of time now, and he just hasn't been able to get past it, so he will be out. There wasn't really a particular reason for his injury or like ex we don't exactly know what's wrong with him at this point so they're keeping that a little bit under wraps right now um so that's going to be february 11th so now in in the interim is what we'll call it luke rockhold's going to be fighting noel romero for the interim middleweight championship in the main event and it's just it's just a disappointing turn of events because, first off, the card is not very stacked. There are some well-known Australian, New Zealand natives that are on this card that will make it fun and entertaining for the crowd that is going to be in attendance. But I saw somewhere on social media that you're essentially going to be paying $59.99 for a fight night card. A really good fight night card nonetheless, but that's essentially what this is. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to agree with this. I mean, Rockhold versus Romero, with the card that's been put together, if this was a UFC on Fox card, I would be okay with it. But to have to pay $59.99, I just don't see a lot of people paying for this card. I think it's going to be a real struggle. This isn't going to do very well on pay-per-view buys. And it's going to be real disappointing for the UFC, the fact that they had this perfectly set up in Australia for Whitaker to come out looking like a star if he had won, and it's just not going to happen. So, And this is the risk you take whenever you do go to a market and your main event is around just the one guy that's from there that could potentially be a major superstar. So for all the people that say, you know, Stipe's, Stipe, all of Stipe's fights should be in Cleveland, well, in an instance like this, you know, when you get the hometown guy, that's in the main event, the reason why everyone wants to go and they fall out, it can really do some damage to whether or not that was the right place to go in that in the after all. So with that being considered, this just shows you the other side of, you know, planning your events around a fighter and then having it go awry because that fighter has to pull out. But that's not something you can really control, unfortunately. But the card has Mark Hunt versus Curtis Blades. That's a co-main event as of right now. Um, you know, Blades is an up-and-coming heavyweight. He hasn't been someone who's been ultra, ultra impressive throughout his fights. He's been a little bit up and down. He does have a good record, is a good prospect. And, of course, Hunt is very well-beloved over in Australia. So that should be an intriguing fight. But, again, it doesn't feel like a pay-per-view co-main event fight. You have Jake Matthews is on the card. He's a native as well. Tyson Pedro is on the card. He's someone that's pretty popular over there. He's trying to come off his first loss and get regain a win. And then, you know, the only other intriguing fight that I really see on here, and, you know, there's other guys that are on here that are pretty good and 
It's no disrespect to them, but Juicio Da Silva versus Ben Wynn is another fight where I'm paying attention to in which Ben Wynn has had two victories over Gene Herrera and Tim Elliott after that loss to Luis Smoka. He's been looking very good, and if he can get past a Da Silva, that would be a real step up in his career, and it would really say a lot about where he is in his maturation process as an MMA fighter. But nonetheless, you just go with those names right there. I'm sure not too many of y'all are going, oh, I have to see that fight, that fight, I can't miss. So it really turns this pay-per-view into more of a fight night, unfortunately. Um, so it's a major blow to the UFC. Of course, this got to be heartbreaking for Whitaker, who I'm sure wanted to perform in front of his uh, country, in front of the fans and everything like that. Uh, it's just not going to be able to, unfortunately. But with that, we do get Luke Rockhold versus Yoel Romero. It is for the interim middleweight championship. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just kind of crazy that right as we thought, you know, okay, no more interim middleweight belt, and now we we fall into one. Unfortunately, um, I can't really blame them for putting the interim belt on the line. It may have been a situation in which Rockhold and Romero would have only committed to doing the fight if there was an interim title on the line to guarantee them essentially that they would be able to fight Whitaker for the undisputed championship as soon as he was available to return. As of right now, it doesn't sound like Whitaker's injury is too extensive as far as his, as far as his layoff will be, so they should be able to put that fight together after this one is completed, but who really knows? As for the fight itself, it is a fantastic fight. I cannot wait to watch this one. Unfortunately, Romero was taken away from UFC Orlando February 24th. That was going to be the main event, I believe, for uh, Romero versus David Branch. So that fight is no longer going down in Orlando. They will have to figure out something else in the meantime to, to uh, replace that. But, um, yeah, on, but Romero versus Rockwell is going to be a a great fight. I've been wanting to see that matchup for quite some time now. Romero's already 40 years old at this point in time. His last loss, his last fight was against Whitaker in July, so he's been off for quite some time. He lost by unanimous decision, but this is a real opportunity for him to defeat Rockhold, prove that, um, you know, gain that interim title and set up that matchup against, against Robert Whitaker in which he lost a very competitive fight. I know Whitaker had some injuries in that fight, and um, I believe Whitaker won it, won it very fair and square, but uh, it was still very competitive. Romero, I'm sure, would love another crack at Whitaker. As far as Rockhold, this is very intriguing to me. He did not look very good in that first round against David Branch. He looked very, very dominant in that second round, of course. He finished Branch on the ground with TKO by submission. Um, to punches, so that was very impressive after having come off a long, long layoff in which he lost to Michael Bisping to uh, lose the title. This is the way I kind of see this fight. Of course, we'll break it down later on, but Rockhold and Romero is so intriguing to me because it's become apparent to me that Rockhold on the feet could be a little bit more touted than he deserves to be. He leaves openings for himself where he can get countered, where an explosive guy or someone that's willing, that's able to take a quick opportunity of, of an opening of Rockhold can really land on him. That's how Michael Bisping was able to win the championship. He was able to counter when Rockhold left an opening. Of course, he was very overconfident in that fight. But you have to be very careful if you're Rockhold. I mean, Vitor Belfort very much had a quick twitch um, feel about him back when he defeated Rockhold with that spinning wheel kick, um, heel kick, and it was very, it was very much shown that if you can be quicker than Rockhold, that's where you can really, um, really have an advantage over him if you can counter and time him well. Uh, you can really get some of your own offensive offense off in terms of striking. 
Well, Romero does that very well. I mean, he's extremely explosive. He's definitely the quicker of the two. He's not as polished in his striking, but again, he's just so dynamic when it comes to strikes. His knees are devastating. He's got huge, huge power in his hands. He swings a little wild, but when he connects, I mean, he really connects. So this could be a very entertaining fight as long as it stands up on the feet. And then as far as it going to the ground, I just find this to be a very intriguing fight because Rockhold has been able to dominate the guys on the ground when he gets into the top control. I just don't know if he would be able to uh, utilize that top control against a guy like Yoel Romero. Romero is susceptible to getting taken down, but you just don't see him stay on the, on his back very for very long. It's almost like he's okay with being taken down because he knows he can get up so quickly. So that's where I see a real advantage for Romero. The fact that his grappling is so high level, I think that he actually can cancel out Rockhold and will be able to refrain, restrain, um, refrain from being taken down and not being able to be dominated by Rockhold's jiu-jitsu uh, top game in which he's very dominant with when it comes to strikes, submissions. I absolutely believe that Rockhold would defeat Romero in a pure jiu-jitsu match, but I just don't see how he's going to be able to keep Romero down there for very long. So I do see this fight playing playing out on the feet for the majority of this fight. And if that's the case, it'll be extremely intriguing to see if the uh, if the better technical striker in Rockhold, who does have a lot of tools in his bag as well, is able to defeat Romero. Or if Romero with that major power, that, that advantage in the athleticism, I believe. I'm not calling Rockhold a bad athlete. I just think that Romero, the type of athlete he is that's that's a special type of athlete that you just don't see um, in the octagon too often. I think he's always going to have the athleticism advantage over his opponents. And in this case, I would say so as well. And in a lot of cases, he's going to have that speed advantage. And he's just so explosive. He's um, a little bit unpredictable. And I think that that could be very, very dangerous for Rockhold, who does tend to get lazy here and there, does tend to leave openings. So it should provide for a very good fight in my opinion and as far as them going on to fight Whitaker I think this is whoever wins this fight could provide a very interesting matchup for Whitaker it'll be really intriguing to see how that that fight plays out as well if Romero can get the rematch I would love to see what changes he's able to make I think that he does have the ability to beat Whitaker I don't think at all like I said that he doesn't have a chance against him even though he lost, he was extremely competitive, like I said earlier. So that would be intriguing. Rockhold, on the other hand, provides a different set of challenges and skill sets that Whitaker kind of hasn't seen before. A guy that is, you know, a very good striker in his own right and someone that could potentially actually get Whitaker to the ground, hold him there, and would make it very interesting and intriguing to see how would Whitaker do on his back against a guy with uh, such dominant top control. So I think the winner of this fight going on to face Whitaker is a huge win for us. But for the time being, it's a huge loss that we're just not going to be able to get that Whitaker versus Rockhold fight at this at this moment in time, unfortunately. So let's go on to the next order of business, which is a little bit of uh, some sorts of uh, commentating switches. We all knew about Jimmy Smith. Having parted ways with Bellator, it appears that Jimmy Smith just wasn't getting the deal that Bellator wanted to give him. And, like, they couldn't come to an agreement of what Jimmy Smith exactly wanted with Bellator. He had one a one-year option left. They declined that option, and then they tried to renegotiate a new deal, and they just couldn't come to terms that Jimmy was happy with. So they ended up mutually parting ways, and the UFC snatched them up pretty quickly. So I want to say this took about a week and a half, two weeks, before the UFC officially announced in a press release that Smith, who um, was a former fighter as well, would be commentating for UFC broadcasts on Fox and pay-per-view events, and then he'll also be taking part um, 
as part of the company's pre-fight programming. That's according to MMAfighting.com by Dave Doyle. So, additionally, it says in this article that MMA Fighting's Ariel Hawani has learned that Smith's first assignment will involve desk work for FS1 during next weekend's UFC 220 card. So, let's just go over this first. This is a huge win for the UFC, I believe. I think that this was very confusing in my eyes with Bellator. I, I just don't understand what they're doing at this point. They're making questionable decisions. We'll get into that a little bit later, but let's just focus in on the UFC and Jimmy Smith being in there. I think this just gives you another credible um, you know, color analyst, another credible guy that can do those video packages together. I like DC in, as a color analyst. I don't like him as much in those pre-fight packages. I like Joe Rogan a little bit better in those. I do like, I do think that the idea of if Jimmy Smith potentially doing those would be uh, better. I think he would be do a better job than Cormier would do. Um, and I also think that this is a little bit of protection for the UFC. Joe Rogan, uh, like we had learned last year, signed a one-year agreement. So I believe that was in August or so. So, you know, that one year is going to come up pretty quickly, of course. And, um, you know, when that expires, if Joe Rogan decides that he wants to do his Joe Rogan Experience podcast, focus on his comedy work. And, you know, he has had that podcast where they do the, uh, like, the fight companions, and those have been very successful. He talks about how he very much loves to do those. If he just feels like he would rather not do it at all, I mean, there's a guy in Jimmy Smith that you can replace him with. So it's not, they're not the exact same style. They're different styles, but I just think that Jimmy Smith would move in very smoothly and work really well with a guy in John Anik. I think Anik and Jimmy Smith could be a really good pairing. Um, I think that they would be very informational. I think that they would have the ability to, to mesh very well with each other. So, I really like the potential of this, as well as if he's going to be doing some pre-fight programming and doing like FS1 work. I do like that as well. I haven't been a big fan of Karen Bryant on the desk whenever we go to UFC on FS1. I just, it's just not there for me. I just feel like it's a little bit cartoonish, that set. I wonder if he can bring a little bit more credibility, a little bit more um, just seriousness to that set where... They can have more MMA conversation instead of trying to be more entertainment. When I watch that show, it's not exactly what I want it to be. I just feel like it's a little bit of a joke here and there. Um, I, I, I just don't feel like I'm listening to a real true MMA show, and that's kind of unfortunate. Um, and a little bit of that has to go to the fact that, of course, they're not allowed to make criticisms about the UFC on that show. If they are, they just don't, so... Um, you know, that has something to do with it, and there's other issues with that show. But, again, Jimmy Smith, I think, would do very well on a desk like that or on a panel like that as well. Very knowledgeable. Again, he has fought before in his career. It was very brief, but um, nonetheless, he's very, very knowledgeable. I think a lot of fans that are into UFC or UFC fans that haven't watched Bellator, people that haven't watched Bellator that are casual fans will very much take a liking to Jimmy Smith. Very likable guy, um, and he's very genuine in his commentating. So I hope he can bring that over, continue that, and um, I think he'll do great things in the UFC. Very happy to see that go down with him. I did not want to see him uh, end up elsewhere if he wasn't going to be with Bellator. All right, so... Let's move on to the next news item, which is in connection with what we just talked about in regards to Jimmy Smith. And let's talk about John, Big John McCarthy going from referee to Bellator announcer. So McCarthy has been hired to be a color commentator for the Bellator MMA broadcast. Um, so that was announced Tuesday and He's not going to be retiring from being an official necessarily, but you won't really see him as an official for the UFC broadcast or the Bellator broadcast. He's not going to be doing that. He stated that he would still do like international refereeing. 
he would do uh, smaller shows and that he's still going to be involved in things like charity events and, and he'll still be involved in the athletic commissions. He could even be a, he could even be licensed to do boxing as a ref. So he's not retiring from being a referee. So that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that he's still going to be involved in the athletic commissions, that he'll still be a strong voice around there is what I'm hoping for, and that he continues to evolve uh, refing for the younger generation of refs that are trying to come in. But, um, you know, it's a big loss for the UFC and for Bellator that he's not actually going to be in the cage refereeing these big fights. I mean, you've got your Herb Deans, your Keith Petersons, I believe... Um, I believe, uh, you know, Mark Goddard, he's very good as well. And then uh, the guy that went to prison for some time, he just recently came back. Um, the name is escaping me at this point. But um, jo Josh Rosenthal, he's very good as well. So if he can get back into the mix, you get, then have guys like Frank Trigg, who's kind of coming up in the ranks as a ref, who just refereed his first UFC uh, fights just a few weeks ago, about a month or two ago, perhaps. Um so we are, I think, in better situation than the last time he left refereeing. But again, you know, John Mark John McCarthy was one of those guys that you put him in there and you just know everything's going to go smoothly. Very rarely would he make a mistake. So, of course, that's definitely a loss for the UFC and Bellator, especially in those main event situations. But I definitely understand where he's coming from. I mean, I'm sure the TV checks are probably a little bit better than what he was getting paid. As far as a ref, I mean, he's got to be working less as a Bellator color analyst because, you know, you would see him in just in different places on a nightly basis. You would see him, you know, in in one state on Friday night, then another state on Saturday night, and then the next weekend he would be in a different country. I mean, you'd see this guy all over the place. So if you pay attention, if you watch enough fights, you see, you start to see a trend and a pattern where it's like, man, Herb Dean's all over the place. So is McCarthy, so is Peterson, so is Mark Goddard, all of these guys, you know, they work a ton, a ton of weekends. I'm sure the traveling is very tiresome, especially when they have to do back-to-back -back nights, and that's how they make their money. They don't get paid a whole lot per show, it appears. It appears that in order for them to make a good living, they have to be very active in refereeing fights across the country and across the world. So that's got to be, that's got to take a toll on someone's body. And this guy's been doing, been refereeing since basically the year I was born. I'm 24 years old. The UFC was founded and was uh, started in 1993. He did UFC 2 and he's been refereeing that ever since. And that was in 1994. So that's about 23 years of refereeing. That's incredible. And as the sport has evolved and gotten bigger, I'm sure he's been busier and busier, of course. So this is a very interesting. I heard Luke Thomas say from MMA Fighting that he believes that Bellator was a little bit blindsided by the fact that, they, that uh, Jimmy Smith and them parted ways and they couldn't come to an agreement with their negotiations because... It's a very quick turnaround, and to that point, apparently days later, after Jimmy Smith parted ways with Bellator, Scott Coker then reached out to McCarthy, and McCarthy very much was interested in the position, and they got the deal done very quickly. But he's already going to be doing the January 20th show in Los Angeles, so that's very interesting that it's going to be a very quick turnaround for John McCarthy. How do I think he'll do? I'm not too sure. I mean, you can never really tell with these guys. Um, he's got a ton of knowledge. I like the fact that he's going to be able to bring his knowledge from the refing world as far as the rule sets and knowing what states have different rules and the athletic commissions and what goes into the rules and really being able to explain in depth what's going on in confusing situations. You've seen UFC broadcasts where Joe Rogan's looking for an answer, Mark Ratner's looking for an answer, even though he was a former athletic commission guy. I mean, this is a guy who's still involved in the athletic commissions, who's still involved with the rules, who is still going to be active here and there in refereeing fights. So I think that's a really good thing for uh, Bellator. But if he's going to be part of a two-man booth, I just really 
wonder how well he's going to be able to do in that situation. This is a guy that hasn't been practicing broadcasting for a long time. And, you know, who am I to say that? I'm just doing a podcast and I have no broadcasting experience myself. But you just wonder and see, okay, if he's been focusing on refereeing for this long and you just signed him to be your color color analyst and you're basically giving him two weeks notice to prepare for his first card, I mean, that's a tough task task of anybody. I mean, I think we've learned from a Brian Stan and from some of these other guys how intensive you have to be in preparing for um, to call some of these cards, especially the big fights. Make sure your homework's done and to make sure you're being accurate. You don't want to be giving out uh, bad information. You want to make it as smooth as possible. And then, of course, there's a there's a real art to having called fights for for hours upon hours as well. It can be very tiring as well from what I've heard, you know, and from John Anik's stories before and how grueling it can be and how tiring it can be to continuously be talking throughout the night. So those are all things that he's going to have to adjust to. But I do have some optimism to it because he does have expertise in having uh, ref fights before. And then also, you know, he's been a guy to train and really try to understand and uh, figure out all the ins and outs of mixed martial arts, especially on jiu-jitsu. So I think he'll be very well versed in those areas. I do think he would be better in a three-man booth where you've got a guy that's a, the, the main color analyst, you have your play-by-play guy, and then you would have John where he could kind of bring a little bit of the, just his own personality, a little bit of entertainment himself, and then, you know, really speak to the rules and regulations and maybe you know, give his input on the fight, uh, a little, but less often as a color analyst. I think that would be a good role for him. But just him in a two-man booth, we'll see how it goes. But again, I just want to speak to, and before I go on about Bellator and kind of criticizing them, I want to say, you know, I definitely understand it. Like I said, all the traveling, I definitely understand why he would want to take a job like this. Probably provides him a better living. So congratulations to Big John McCarthy. I know a lot of people are disappointed that he's not going to be wrestling fights. But, um, you know, a guy like that, he's been he's given so much to the sport that he deserves to take an opportunity like this. So congrats to him. But let's move on to the Bellator side of this whole thing. I really don't understand what Bellator is doing. Um, I, I thought that we would have a better feel for what Bellator is under Scott Coker a few years into his his reign as the uh, as the president I guess of the of the organization but I'm really struggling to figure out what the direction is because they ended up getting rid of their original play-by-play guys which is fine I didn't think either one of them was so outstanding or so beloved by the fans that it was an issue but I never thought that they would get rid of Jimmy Smith I'm not sure why they want to get rid of Jimmy Smith I mean you do have a Chelsea and so now you bring on Big John McCarthy. Perhaps you could get Frank Muir to do some play-by-play uh, stuff here and there. You did bring over Moro Ronaldo and Mike Goldberg, but they're not color guys. They're uh, play-by-play guys, so that doesn't really fit in to Jimmy's role. I just don't understand why they would let Jimmy Smith go. I think he did a lot of work for them. With his pat, with the you know the pre-fight packages, with uh, calling pretty much all of the fights that he could possible, and I think he's one of the best commentators in the game. I think that it's kind of interesting that they would rather let him go rather than keep him, and rather him be in the UFC than just keep him. Um, you know, who knows with budgets and things of that nature, but I would rather them have cut Chelsea from calling fights rather than you know, cut Jimmy Smith from calling fights. So that's just how I feel about it. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just gives it a different feel that that was a guy who was really one of the faces of Bellator. So I think that's a little bit confusing when you thought Jimmy Smith, you thought Bellator. So that's going to be kind of strange to see him in the UFC programming, but it's just going to be strange to go onto a Bellator broadcast and not have him there. I thought that he did a lot of good work for them. Um, 
and just I just don't know where they're going. It seems like just as they're about to take the okay, we kind of went from we're just trying to gain traction and attention for everything that we do and we're actually going to focus on the real sports side of this and making this a elite program where we have elite fighters and we can actually turn it into the belt to strike force where we have a little bit more we tend to to seem like we're having more fun than the UFC but we also have spectacular um elite talent uh fighting night in and night out and they just seem to as they seem to be going towards that then they seem to do things that make me think no they're still focused on the Kimbo slice days of fighting the Tito Ortiz versus Rampage Jackson bookings, that type of thing. So one thing is just Jimmy Smith leaving. You know, it sounds like they're more focused on, well, who's more popular? Is Jimmy Smith more popular or is Frank Mir? Is Jimmy Smith or Big John McCarthy or Jimmy Smith or Chelsea? And they just go, okay, we go with the popular guy, not the guy who does it best. And in my opinion, that's a little bit problematic. I think that that's what the UFC has done in the past year and have been very much criticized for that, for going more over for entertainment value over than meritocracy with the fight with the fighters. I think that's been a huge issue. I think you can only do that so often. I think Bellator has a little bit more leeway, but at some point they've got to try to make themselves presentable as, yes, we provide a lot of entertainment, a lot of the entertainment you've seen from the, you know, the, the uh, Shamrock versus Gracie fights and stuff like that, uh, things of that nature, right? But it's just like they've got to they've got to take themselves seriously at some point. And then another news item I saw is that they decided instead of Rory McDonald versus Douglas Lima for the welterweight championship, probably the best fight they could put together at this point in their organization being the main event. They're actually going to go with Chel Sonnen versus Rampage Jackson in the main event. Why? Because they had bigger names back in the day. They still potentially have bigger names. You know, Roy's not a not a um, is not a newcomer. Rory's not someone that a lot of people don't know. Rory's someone that's been in title fights with Robbie Lawler. Rory's someone that's been in fights with Tyrone Woodley. He's been in fights with BJ Penn. He's been in a lot of high-profile fights. They may He may not have ever hit the mainstream, such as a Chelsea and a Rampage Jackson hit, but who else has... But how much have they really hit the mainstream? I mean, they're popular fighters, but at this point, you put on Chelsea and versus Rampage Jackson as a co-main event, you make uh, Roy McDonald versus Douglas Lima your main event, and you say the guy's fighting for the welterweight championship for an actual title belt, is more important than a Grand Prix first-round matchup. The guys fighting that are actually in their primes, Douglas Lima, who could become a superstar off of this fight, and Roy McDonald, who is a star in this fight, who was a fort, who could potentially get, grab the belt and maybe tr- contend for the middleweight championship after this. Um, seeing how Car- Carvalho and uh, and Gegar Mousasi turns out to be. You know, that's what I would want to see, so I don't know. But we'll see what happens in the meantime. I just think that Bellator is making all the wrong moves in those terms, and it's just interesting to see that their decision-making continues to be more about entertainment and less about, you know, providing a serious product to the fans, and I just don't think that that's what they should be doing. They're not going to grab a lot of casual fans at this point in time. They need to capture the imagination and the love of the hardcore fans first before they can really try to go after those casual fans. So that's just my opinion in that regard. So unfortunate to see, but we'll see what happens going forward. Okay, and the last news item is uh, Vitor Belfort's retirement fight that um, he was calling was his retirement fight unless he get paid $10 million later. Um, so I would say alleged retirement fight because he said this on multiple occasions before that it's going to have a retirement fight. It is now off for the UFC card in St. Louis. And so that's going to be an issue because that deteriorates 
the um, depth of that card just a little bit, unfortunately. And uh, let's see what's on that card. It looks like Uriah Hall was not going to be able to make weight. May have had some medical issues in regards to that weight cut. And so because of that, that fight has fallen off the card. Belfort will, will not be fighting as well. We don't know if that's going to be rebooked for a later date. But um, I would still like to see that matchup. I think it's an intriguing one. So that would be fun if they want to do Belfort versus like Bisping in London, where potentially they, that's both of their retirement fights. That would be fun as well. So we could see that happening. Um, as far as Uriah Hall, it sounded like he had been going through some really tough issues during his training camp. He said his body was shutting down, that he took it really tough that Robert Fallis had um, taken his own life and... Um, you know, then his friend apparently passed away the day after he was breaking down, had to call his mom and sister and uh, just really had a tough, tough training camp. Apparently he was uh, one pound away from making weight and then the medical issues arose. So who knows what happened in this case? It sounds like Uriah Hall had just tons of hurdles to come to, to overcome that he wasn't able to overcome at the end of the day. It sounds like his head maybe wasn't in the right area for training the whole time. As if, if his body was shutting down, there could be potential issues there. So that combined with his mental um, issues that he was having in the sense that he was having to deal with, a, with two deaths of people that were very close to him. I think that played a huge factor in him not being able to make weight for this fight. Unfortunately, I really wonder where his desire was at, for, at this point to cut that extra pound. And um, I think it's ultimately a good thing that he's probably not fighting. It sounds like he needs to kind of step away from the game for a little bit. Um, after this happened, really reevaluate um, his weight cut, but just kind of reevaluate his life. He seems a little bit like he kind of got lost in that all of that stuff that happened during his training camp. And he may just need to spend some time with his family and really step away from the game and and really think about life for a little bit. Uriah Hall has always been someone who's super talented, in my opinion. He's got ch championship-level uh, striking and championship-level skills in his arsenal, but he's always been a guy who I've just seen, and you could see in the Ultimate Fighter when Chalice had to talk to him before. He's got these real mental hurdles that he has to overcome, and if he can't overcome them, come them, he can't. He cannot fulfill his true potential. I think he really struggles with that. And until he is able to overcome that, I don't think he'll ever be the fighter that we once imagined him to be when he was going through his run through the Ultimate Fighter. So very unfortunate there. But let's get into this UFC Fight Night 124, Stevens versus Troy. Um, I'm going to just predict a few uh, fights here, the ones that are most interesting. In my opinion, you've got Jessica I. Lower down on the card, Irene Aldana, who's lost a few fights in the UFC. Someone they were hoping would turn out to be pretty good, but has not panned out to this point. James Krause is on the card fighting Alex White. That actually should be a pretty good scrap. But let's go ahead and talk about the last four fights of the card, which is starts off with Darren Elkins versus Michael Johnson. Let's talk about this for a second. So Darren Elkins has had a very good run as of late. He moved to Team Alpha Male and has wins over Robert Whiteford, Chas Skelly, Godofredo Castro, Misrod Bektix, and then uh, Dennis Bermudez. That was a very good win as well. Michael Johnson, on the other hand, moved down to featherweight. Is moving down to featherweight, having ha after having lost. Four out of his last five, and that sounds terrible. It sounds like a guy who's on the downturn in his career, and I don't necessarily see that with Michael. I just think that the guys he faced, um, he just wasn't as good as, unfortunately, on those nights. Neil Darius, a tough, tough fight. He lost that fight by split decision. He lost to Nate Diaz in a fight where I just thought he was overmatched, probably came in way too confident after Nate had lost to Rafael Dos Andros in dominant, dominant fashion. Michael Johnson can be a bit cocky and get uh, full, you know, fill his head with too much confidence. I think he came into that fight way too confident. Nate Diaz lit him up and made him pay for it. 
he won against Dustin Poirier in what was a fun, entertaining fight for the for the round that it lasted, and then he went on to lose against Habib Nurmagomedov, but he did rock Habib a little bit. He stunned him in that first round, so he showed that he still has very elite skills when it comes to certain departments of his game. And then he also lost to Justin Gaethje in an incredible, incredible fight in which Gaethje was just able to eke out that win, um, able to survive a little bit longer than Johnson. Johnson had Gaethje really, really hurt in some um, parts of that fight. But uh, I think the good thing for Johnson is he's taken a long time off since having suffered that TKO loss in July. Um, it's going to be uh, about six months ago, and I think that's perfect for fighters that, you know, lose devastating fights like that. But anyways, this is going to be his featherweight debut, so we'll see how that goes. I think it's an interesting move for Johnson. I think that his speed will carry over to this light to this featherweight division. Usually when you go down in weight, you lose a little bit of that speed advantage. But against a guy like Darren Elkins, he's very pretty much slow on the feet. He has improved, no doubt about it. I do believe that Johnson's just going to have too much of an advantage when it comes to the striking game. I mean, I believe that Johnson also is going to be able to do enough and when it comes to grappling in terms of... Um, you know, just zeroing out the advantages there. I don't think Elkins will be able to dominate Johnson in grappling exchanges, and that's probably where Elkins is going to want to take it. Johnson, in my opinion, is just too athletic, too fast, and he's got definitely, definitely has more powerful in this, uh, definitely has more power in his strikes. I think he'll actually be able to defeat Darren Elkins via TKO in the later stages of the second round. Elkins, very, very tough, but I just see Johnson having too many advantages when it comes to the striking department here. If not, I'll have to eat my words, and Darren Elkins will once again have a very, very good win on his record. He has looked very good lately, and he's one of these guys that is very tough to put away. I just don't think he has the skills on the feet to uh, really deal with Johnson, and as a whole. <laughs> Alright, so the next fight is Kamaru Usman versus Emil Meek. And so, this is a very in, in, intriguing fight, in my opinion. I think Usman is definitely the favorite in this fight. I wasn't exactly sure why he was such a big favorite. I've heard of their both, I've heard both of, of their reputations, and I just thought, okay, this has got to be a lot closer fight than what I've been hearing, but I've never actually seen Emil Meek or Kamaru Usman uh, fight before, As and it sounds a little bit crazy, but Usman's always been on these lower uh, level cards or, you know, on the prelims, and I just haven't been able to get to it, so I did go on Fight Pass, I checked out about three or four of their fights, and um, I was very impressed by Usman, he's definitely got some skills he needs to develop and work on, and his striking is very, in my opinion, dependent on his grappling and how, and his pressure, of course, as well. And I think that that's a very interesting uh, aspect of this fight because Emil Meek, on the other hand, has good striking of his own. I think Usman is quicker with his with his hands. I think that they both have actually pretty good leg kicks, and Usman has very good kicks that he throws to the calves of his opponents. I think that he needs to actually use those more in fights, and he could really uh, put these guys in bad position, especially when he comes time for him to grapple with them. I think that that would be really beneficial to him. Meek, on the other hand, is going to have to, in my opinion, keep distance quite a, his distance a little bit when it comes to uh, Usman, because Usman is not afraid to grapple. Meek was taken down a few times by Mean, Jordan Mean, in his last fight quite easily without uh, really any issue. And Meek, I'm not sure if he's how good he is on the ground when it comes to his jiu-jitsu. And Usman is very good at controlling position on top. He's not the best at making a whole lot of things happen when it comes to submissions. He's decent with his ground and pound. I think he could get better. He's He kind of reminds me of Habib a little bit. But like I said, a little bit in the sense that he is very strong, 
even against guys where they're much bigger than him, he's still it's still very obvious that he has a strength advantage. And when he is able to apply pressure to these guys, able to get in these grappling exchanges, it really opens up his striking because they really uh, fear him getting him getting them to the ground. So I think that that will be his game plan. On the other hand, Meek likes to come forward with his pressure as well. I just don't know if that's going to work in this fight. I think that would work to Usman's advantage. Meek, on the other hand, I think is going to have to look for the counters when it comes to Usman. And I think if he's able to stuff some takedowns early on, that would do a whole lot for his confidence. And then with Usman, he doesn't have the most efficient striking, in my opinion. He does have very good striking to this point, but he can get a little bit wild sometimes. He does leave some openings. And if Mika's really able to go up the middle and take advantage of that with some knees up the middle or some uppercuts up the middle, I think that could be a huge success for him. But again, I just don't see uh, Meek being able to keep Usman off him to, for long periods of time. I think that Usman will do well to mix up the grappling with the striking, even if it is just clinching up against the cage, controlling the guy and letting him know, I'm stronger than you. And once that happens, I believe uh, Usman will be able to get off his striking a little bit better and uh, later on in the round when he's uh, threatening those takedowns. He's uh, fainting a little bit, and uh, the guys are kind of falling for it. So with that being the case, I do believe that this one goes all three rounds. I do believe it goes to decision. I think Usman and Meek put on an entertaining fight. I believe Meek will have his opportunities and will have his spots where he is able to counter successfully against Usman. And again, Usman does need to be careful because Meek is not afraid to get in a firefight, and he has a good chin on him. And he can very, and he has a very good amount of power in his hands as well. But I think Usman's pressure and uh, conditioning will ultimately be too much for me, as well as the grappling advantage that he has. I think that will set up his striking nicely. Usman wins by unanimous decisions, two rounds to one, in a very entertaining fight against Emil Meek. <laughs> the next fight I want to watch is uh, that we want to talk about is Paige Van Zandt versus Jessica Rose Clark. Jessica Rose Clark won her debut against Beck Rawlings. She did miss weight in that prior fight. It looks like she made weight this time around. Um, so she won by split decision in what was a pretty competitive fight. I just see this simply as Paige Van Zandt being given an opportunity to uh, be very successful in her 125-pound uh, debut which is the uh, flyweight division, right? So I think that she does have the advantage here against Jessica Rose Clark. I think that she will actually quite easily be able to take uh, Clark down to the ground and control her. I think that this could be a really good performance for Van Sant. I know Rose Clark has a uh, decent striking. She's very well-rounded. She's pretty well-rounded herself. I haven't watched a ton of her, but the little bit that I did, she's someone who is well-versed in all areas. But I just think that Van Zant has a good advantage when it comes to the grappling aspect of this fight. I could see her landing a good amount of ground and pound. I'll go Paige Van Zant winning this fight late third round um, by TKO stoppage. I think that she will just be able to control this fight for the majority of it and really just drag it out and really wear her opponent out in the long run. This could be a very good comeback bounce back fight for Paige Van Zandt after having lost to Michelle Watterson in December of 2016. So she she hasn't fought in over a year. That's definitely something to take notice of, but um, I think she'll be able to come out on top here. Um, and she's still only 23 years old, you know. This is someone that hasn't fought in over a year, but these are the opportunities for a fighter like Paige Van Zandt, who I think is a little bit overrated, but doesn't come without skill. She has a lot of skill, a lot of talent. I don't know how high her ceiling is. I think some people think it thought it was a lot higher than it actually is, but I still think that she has the ability to turn into an elite fighter. So in a year where she hasn't fought, she could have made a lot of leaps in, um, in terms of her striking, in terms of her grappling, her overall game altogether if she was focusing on those things. I know she is busy outside of fighting as well, 
but I don't think that she's busy enough to keep her out of the uh, training room for long periods of time to where she cannot, um, you know, focus on training. So I'm actually pretty excited to see if she's able to show some evolution in this fight and really show some different tools in which she can use in not just this fight, but more fights going forward against the Elite. So the next fight I want, and the last fight we will talk about is Jeremy Stevens versus Duho Choi. I think this is an excellent, excellent matchup. I really like this fight. I'm a huge fan of Duho Choi. I really like his fighting style. This is someone that if you had to ask me who do you want to win, I would be... I would just be honest with you and say Duho Choi, you know, I'm not a reporter. I'm, you know, I'm nothing like that. I, I can say who I, I'm a big fan of. Jeremy Stevens, on the other hand, though, has looked so impressive in his past few import performances uh, or his past performance against Gilbert Melendez. Um, very impressive against Melendez. And I think that he has the qualities and ability to defeat a guy like Duho Choi. And I was originally going to go with, with Jeremy Stevens, but I just think back to that Gilbert Melendez fight and think to myself that I really think Gilbert was not able to put on a good performance at all because, you know, he got his legs taken away from him early. Jeremy Stevens has very good, powerful leg kicks himself, but he's only really proven to use it in one fight, and that was against Melendez. I wonder if Duho Choi will be more ready for that. He does stand a little bit firm in his stance too sometimes. So that could be something that Stevens could take advantage of. But I think that Duho Choi is, you know, he's a younger fighter. I think he'll be a little bit quicker. Their power, I would still probably give the power advantage to Stevens. But I just think that Duho Choi will be a little bit more slick in this occasion. I think he will do enough to win this fight. I actually don't see this being a knockout. I do believe this goes all five rounds. I think it could be a very entertaining fight, one of the better fights of the year. I see Jeremy Stevens being very, very competitive in this fight as well. And if he's able to land flush on Duho Choi, we'll really be able to see how Duho Choi is able to come back after having suffered that loss to Cub Swanson. But again, this is one of the reasons why I'm picking Duho Choi after having gone through such a war and battle with Cub Swanson. He last fought Cub Swanson December 10th, 2016. It is so important when you have fights like that, when you have wars like that, especially early on in your career where you do tend to take advantage of your chin, where you do take it for granted sometimes. You've got to take care of your body, of your head, of... Um, You've got to let everything rec recover properly. I'm really happy that he hasn't fought in a year because I think that, again, when you go through battles like that, it's really important to let your body and your mind recover and your brain recover. I think that is super important. A lot of people make the Michael Bisping mistake where, you know, they fight George St. Pierre, get knocked down, get choked out, and then they fight two or three weeks later and get knocked out once again against a guy who maybe they wouldn't have gotten knocked out so easily against um, if they had just waited about six months or so. So in terms of his health, I don't have a lot of worry there in his chin being able to take the punishment. But um, you do have to worry a little bit about ring rust. Um, that affects some people differently. Some people have no issues with ring rust. Some people do. So it'll be interesting to see how he comes back after such a long layoff as well. But at the end of the day, I think that Duho Choi will have a little bit more uh, tools in his uh, arsenal. He'll be a little bit quicker and a little bit uh, quicker to the punch, per se. I don't see this really going to the ground very much. If so, I think Stevens may have a slight advantage just with his wrestling. But I think Duho Choi will, be well, will do well in keeping this on the feet. So those are my predictions for the fight tomorrow night. Uh, again, that's the... Jeremy Stevens versus Duho Choi. You've got, um, you've got, you have the loss. You lost Uriah Hall versus Vitor Belfort, unfortunately. But you still have Paige Van Sant versus Jessica Rose Clark. Kamaru Usman versus Emil Meek, which is actually the best fight on the card, in my opinion. Darren Elkins versus Michael Johnson. James Krause versus Alex White. And then you've got some other good fights on the card as well. So this is actually a pretty good card, especially at being free. You're not going to have to watch. You're not going to have to choose this over football. It should start, the main card should start after the games are over tomorrow. 
So that's pretty nice. I always do like a nice Sunday card. Would like to see them do that a little bit more so that I could have some more of my Saturdays to myself instead of having to uh, um, stay home and watch the fights. But nonetheless, let me know what y'all think of the of the card, of any of the news items that we talked about. Um, let me know what y'all think at Zapata MMA on Twitter. And then until then, I'll talk to y'all next time. And hopefully next time we'll talk about the recap of this card. See uh, who came out as a real winner and what goes on from here, especially in regards to Van Zandt, Usman versus Meek, and then that Jeremy Stevens versus Duho Choi fight. And then, of course, I'll always be on the lookout for any more news that comes out that affects the MMA world as a whole. All right, so until then, guys, have a good one. See ya.